from Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, the, through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Please be seated. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing love and grace. We thank you that we could come together as a church and sing songs of praise, that we can think about our blessed Savior, about his work upon the cross. Father, we are thankful that we have the privilege to read your word together and to meditate upon your word, and just to really hear the word of God being preached together as a church. And we pray today that as we delve into the word, that you will show us more of yourself, that we can see more of our weakness, our sinfulness, but also just be amazed of the love that you have for people such as us. And we pray that as we delve into your word, that we would again be reminded of you, your faithfulness, your grace, and that we will respond truly with faith, with worship to you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're still in the book of Philippians, and we've spent just a few weeks here in the book of Philippians. And the last couple, last couple of times I think I was, had the privilege to preach, we looked at Philippians chapter 2, and we looked at, obviously, in chapter 2, just the call to, to be humble, to have the interest of others at hand. We see the doxology. We see just a, just a beautiful scripture of Christ, what he did upon the cross. And then we see a call to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and to shine as the lights in the world. And, you know, we see this glorious call. And we didn't actually really cover this. And then he, and Paul follows that up with a couple of examples. Two brothers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who were really an encouragement to him and hopefully an encouragement to the Philippians and so after he does all of this, interestingly, in chapter 3, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, and he continues. And it's one thing I notice whenever I read Philippians is, he says, finally. And it actually reminds me a lot about, you know, a lot of pastors, right, that I've heard preach, you know, over the years where they'll say something like, in conclusion, or finally, and they'll preach 20 more minutes, right, and and it seems like that's what Paul's doing here. He says, finally, which sounds like he's summing it up, 
And then he goes two more chapters, right? Half the book of Philippians is left, and he just has so many things to say. He just wants to share more with these people that he loves, and he shares some beautiful things. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. There's a lot in verses 1 through 11, so I don't think we can like, cover every nook and cranny or anything like that. But as you look at this 11 verses, there's three things that I want to highlight about Paul calling, what, what Paul is calling us to do, what Paul is calling us as Christians, as a children of God to do. And there's three things. And one is we're called to rejoice in the Lord. We're called to rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, we are called to put no confidence in the flesh. And lastly, we're called to treasure Christ. Right? So we're called to rejoice in the Lord. We are called to put no confidence in the flesh. And lastly, we are called to treasure Christ. And so I want to look at those three things of the calling that Paul is giving us today, uh, obviously, in the book of Philippians. Now, the first thing is, we're called to rejoice in the Lord, right? He, that's how he starts this passage. If you look at verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, what that means, that second part, is just that he is saying things that he's said before. Obviously, Paul knew the Philippians. He taught the Philippians. He planted this church. And so he's saying, hey, I'm going to repeat a lot of things that you, I've, you've heard me say before. But his point is, I'm doing that because it's important. The things that I'm about to teach you, really the gospel, right, the gospel of Christ, and unpacking that gospel, he's going to say more and more about that. And he's saying, you've probably heard this before, but you need to hear it again. This is important for you. And he says, in the midst of that, rejoice in the Lord. Now I have a question for all of us. Do we live a life of joy? Do I live a life of joy? Do you live a life of joy? Right? If somebody asked you, you know, use one word or two words, three words to describe your life, would joy be one of those words? If you look at the Apostle Paul, the book of Philippians, every scholar says one of the main themes of this book is joy. Every scholar will probably pretty much say that, and here's the thing. Paul, where is Paul? Paul is imprisoned right now. He's in Rome, most likely. He is imprisoned. He is a church planter. He is a missionary. He is a gospel proclaimer. He cannot do any of those things that he wants to do. He is imprisoned, and yet he has joy. He is rejoicing. Now, I've never been to prison. I would venture to guess all of us, most of us have not been to prison. But imagine if you were in prison, would joy describe your life? Now he's writing to the book of to the people in Philippi, the Philippians, and if you look at, if you study them, you'll find out they were poor, they were marginalized, they were persecuted. These are not people living it up. These are not people that are rich. These are not people living comfortable lives. They're living difficult lives. They're poor. They're marginalized. They're persecuted. They're about to have more persecution. And their hero, Paul, who they love, who they're supporting even in their poverty, he's in prison. They can't even see him. And so he's telling people that are suffering, that are struggling like this, rejoice in the Lord. And what he's saying is, your circumstances, 
but not what caused you to rejoice. Because for most of us, maybe even all of us, maybe the days were joyful or the days things went well. We got a promotion. We got a raise. Right? My kids succeeded in something, got into a great college, made the honor roll, right? My health is good, right? And, and all these good things happen, we tend to be joyful. When bad things happen, when difficult things happen, when things don't go my way, there's no joy. There might be sadness, there might be anger, there might be hurts, there might be, you know, all these different things. And I'm not saying sometimes we don't get sad. Of course we do. I'm not saying sometimes life isn't difficult and our, our moods are obviously are down, you know, things that weigh heavily on our hearts. Of course they do. However, what Paul is saying, even when you are suffering, even when your heart is heavy, even when you are hurt, when you are struggling, even in the midst of that, there is a joy, a deeper joy that is not controlled by your circumstances. That's why he uses the word we are told, right? He says to rejoice in the Lord. And he's saying we need to have a foundation in our lives. We need to have a foundation in our lives where even when circumstances are so difficult, even when it's a struggle, there's something deeper in my life that brings me a joy. It's the foundation that gives me peace, that gives me thankfulness, that allows me to worship. I remember talking to a couple once, you know, the husband is, is a very good friend of mine for many years, and, you know, he met, he met his, well, I guess his wife, future wife, in his 20s. They met, they started dating, and, you know, they're married, they have three kids now, they're, they're doing great, but I remember talking to her when they first got married, and, you know, I didn't know her very well, we just kind of kept to know each other, and she said to me, when they first started dating, she said she couldn't sleep. And she was always tired. And so she said, you know, her future husband, my friends, was really worried about her. Why, why, can't, why are you having a hard time sleeping? How can I help you? And she said to me, what he didn't know is this. I couldn't sleep because I was so happy to be dating this amazing guy. I had so much joy in my life that I was up all night just being excited. And so I said, are you still excited like that? And she wouldn't answer my question necessarily, but, but the point that she had was, it didn't matter what was happening in her life at that moment, she was so happy to be in this relationship that everything was always just joyful for her. She was so excited, she said she could not even sleep. Now obviously, those feelings can come and go. But what Paul is saying is this, for a Christian, for a child of God, who knows that they are a child of wrath, a sinner destined for condemnation, who has been forgiven, who has been saved, who is loved by God himself, who has a Savior named Jesus, who is interceding on their behalf. If we're a Christian who knows the gospel, for a Christian who knows the Holy Spirit is in their life, for a Christian who knows their eternal home is in heaven, prepare for them already, for that Christian, he is saying, we can rejoice in the Lord even when circumstances are difficult because we know we have something deeper, foundational in our lives. And I think that's a call for us. We're called to rejoice in the Lord. But Paul continues, and his second part here is he calls us to have no confidence in the flesh. Now, explain something here. So in verse 2, he actually says to look out for the dogs 
Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, what he's talking about is this. There were people in the church of Philippi who were telling Christians, Gentile Christians, right, non-Jewish Christians, look, you, if you want to be a true Christian, not only do you need Jesus, they were telling them, you also need to get circumcised, you have to follow these Jewish rituals. And Paul's pretty much saying, no, they're wrong. Right? He's saying, don't even listen to these people. And he reminds us that you don't put any confidence in these kind of rituals, you don't put any confidence in the flesh. And then he continues, and he says, look, you want to put confidence, you want to put your trust in your accomplishments and the things you do? Let me tell you something. And in verse 4 he says, I have an amazing resume. And now he's not boasting here. He's setting up to show them that his amazing resume doesn't mean anything. He says, look at my resume. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more. I was, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Right? I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to the persecutor of the church, as to, my, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, what is, what is he saying is this? Let me just explain that a little bit here. When he says circumcised on the eighth day, he's saying, I was born as a Jew. I'm not a Jewish convert. I was born as a Jew, and I followed the ritual that I was supposed to follow, what my parents did, and I was circumcised on the correct day, the eighth day. So I'm not a convert. I was born a Jew. That's important, right? The racial purity here. And then he says, I'm a tribe. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Also important. So there were only two tribes that remained loyal to the Davidic line. Benjamin was one of them. And he's reminding them, I'm from the right people. I'm from the right tribe. Also important. A Hebrew of Hebrews. What does that mean? There were a lot of Jewish people, a lot of Israelites, who on the outside were Jewish, were Hebrews, but they lived as Greeks. They were Hellenized. Right? So to give an example of that, it would be someone who says to a bunch of Korean Americans, you guys look Korean, but you're not truly Korean. You're too Americanized. That kind of idea here. And so he's saying, I'm pure. I'm not an Israelite who's become like a Greek. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew. I speak Aramaic. I know my Hebrew culture. Right? I'm pure in that way. And he says, to the law of Pharisee, right? Well, who were Pharisees? Pharisees knew the word of God really well, and they tried really hard to follow the law. And they tried to keep all the rabbinic teachings. So he, they were very well respected. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And I think many of us know this. What did he do before he became a Christian? He was persecuting the church. Christians were scared of him because he was the one going around putting Christians in jail. He was there when the first martyr, Stephen, was killed, giving his approval. So he was a persecutor, and then he says, as to the righteous under the law, I was blameless, meaning I followed all the rules that the Pharisees were supposed to follow. And so you look at this resume, and we also know on top of this, he was very, very well-educated. People say, that he probably, had a multi, he probably had the equivalent of multiple PhDs at the time, very well-educated, zealous, right? Followed the law, Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, look at my resume. By worldly standards, he's saying, my resume is amazing. This thing would have stood up 
to anybody. And then he says this, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What is he saying? The things that the world says is important. Your job, how much money you have, your accomplishments, coming from the right family, coming from the right background, and so on and so forth. He's saying those things, there's nothing wrong with them in and of itself. But he's saying they should not be your core, core innate confidence. He's saying when you go before God, when you look to God and say, here I am, He's not going to care how much money you have. He's not going to care your accomplishments. He's not going to care if you came from the right family. He's not going to care, you know, any of these things that the world considers amazing. He's saying, I have no confidence in the flesh. He's saying, as a Christian, don't live like the rest of the world thinking, if only I have these accomplishments, even if I know the right people, if I have this many possessions and money, don't think those things will make you who you are and those things will always give you confidence that those things are your righteousness, that your worth comes from these kind of accomplishments, these kind of finances, these kind of people in your life. He's saying don't think your worth, who you are, your righteousness, they do not come from these things. They should not be your treasure. They should not be what make you who you are. But then what does he say? Lastly, he says, treasure Christ. Right? He's saying, rejoice in the Lord, as you know who you are in Christ. He's saying, don't put your confidence in the flesh, in the worldly things. Instead, lastly, he says, treasure Christ. Now, verse 7 and 8 are very famous. I'll read it again. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, look, I had an amazing resume. I'm smart. I'm zealous. I follow the law. I'm of the right people, right? I do the right things. All these things on my resume, they looked great that I well, probably used to puff up and just tell everybody how amazing I am. He's saying all of that compared to knowing Christ, I count as loss. And then he takes it a step further. He says all of these things compared to gaining Christ, says, I count them as rubbish, garbage. Now, if you study this passage and look at the Greek, you realize that word rubbish it's translated as rubbish here, really it means excrement. It means dung. He's saying, compared to knowing Christ, compared to gaining Christ, he's saying it's worthless, it's garbage, it's dung. It's, it's just nothing compared to knowing Christ. I think it was sometimes like this. You know, when, you know at night, maybe not here so much in the Northeast, but if you're you know, in certain states, maybe... And, or if you're in the area with not, a, not, a much air, not as much, you know, I guess, pollution in the air or light pollution, or if you're in, maybe, you know, if you're on a mission trip and you're in certain places, you know, at night you see stars. You see a lot of stars. And sometimes 
Every time I've been in a place with a lot of stars, I just get amazed. I try to look at you know, the different constellations that I studied when I was younger, and you know, and it's actually kind of hard, but it's beautiful. But what happens to all those stars in the morning when the sun comes out? You can't see them, right? These glorious stars that you saw all night long, and you were maybe mesmerized by them. When the morning comes and the sun comes up, all those stars, they're, they're gone. Now, they're still up there. They're still shining. We just can't see them. Why? Because the light of the sun is so much greater. Now, the reason I'm saying this, I think it reminds me a little bit of what Paul is saying here. The things that I have in this world, my accomplishments, the people I know, the people I love, right, Um, my money, my finances, Right? My power, my prestige, my status, whatever I have going on that may look like something important. They are important. When it comes to the light of Christ, when it comes to how amazing Jesus is, it's rubbish. You can't even see it. Just like when the sun is shining and I look up in the sky, I can't see one star up there. Why? Because the light of the sun it's so much greater. That's why he uses the word here, surpassing worth. Right? He's saying it's so much greater. It is so much better. Knowing Christ is better. And sometimes I think, as Christians, we, we tell ourselves, man, it is truly a sacrifice. Other people, you know, they have all this money and they spend it on themselves, but I have to, you know, give a tithe or offering. What a sacrifice. I may think other people, you know, they, on Sundays they do this and that, but I, I, I come to church and I have to spend time with other Christians, so that makes them like a sacrifice. Other people live their lives any way they want, but I have to have these Christian morals and ethics, and I feel guilty when I do certain things, so I feel like it's such a sacrifice. A lot of Christians feel that way. And I have to serve. I have to go to this meeting or a prayer meeting, or you know. And, and we feel sometimes, oh man, it's it's a drag at being a Christian. It's it's a sacrifice. It's so hard, but I do it because I know it's the right thing to do. Or I, you know, right, and so I feel kind of holy about it or guilty about it. And what is Paul saying? He's saying no. He's saying there is nothing better than knowing Christ. There is nothing better than gaining Christ. It is so good to know Jesus. It is so good to have Christ in my life. It is so good to have my righteousness in Christ that everything else in the world looks like trash, looks like dung. It looks like garbage. That's what he's saying. Nothing compares to Christ. And I hope that's something that we know in our hearts. I hope that's something that we truly believe in our hearts. When you look at verse 9, 10, and 11, he talks a little bit more about it. He says, look, my righteousness doesn't come from the things of the world. It comes from Christ. Why? Because Christ is the one that went to the cross to die for a sinner like me so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be saved, that I could be righteous in him. 
And he talks about how we in Christ have the power of the resurrection, right? We have that resurrection power in our lives that we could grow in Christ, that we could become like Christ, that we could become more and more holy. He says, I even suffer with Christ, becoming like him in his death. Why? Because even the sufferings that I have in my life, it seems like a struggle, but even God uses those things so that I could become more and more like Christ and draw closer to Christ. And then in verse 11, he says, and one day, I will attain resurrection from the dead. I will be resurrected. I'll be in heaven. Right? I'll be with Christ for all eternity. And so my hope, my prayer this afternoon is this, as a church, that as we look at Christ, we'll rejoice with a joy that comes that's deeper than anything that is based on circumstances, right? Because we know how truly good Christ is, that we wouldn't put confidence in the flesh, the things of the world that we have, but truly our confidence will be in Christ because there is no one better than him. That we would know that compared to Christ, that everything in the world is ultimately rubbish, is ultimately dung, right? It's not a sacrifice. It is not a sacrifice to follow Christ because he is truly, truly so much better than anything else in the world. And I hope and I pray that we will know that, that we will remember that, and we will live a life that truly is for Christ and Christ alone. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. you are so good. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that we could have a treasure as amazing as Christ in our lives. And Father, we pray that we would not put our confidence in the flesh that we would not put our confidence in the things of this world, but truly our confidence will be in Christ and Christ alone, where there is no one as good as you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.